Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. We have a lot of baseball and basketball to catch up on this past week. Starting with baseball, first and foremost, MLB doubleheaders. This came early last week after uh, the episode dropped. I think maybe the next day it happened. MLB doubleheaders will now be seven innings. Classic Little League baseball Saturday mornings, waking up. You go and you play a doubleheader. You don't. You, you're there at 9 a.m. You don't get back till four. Fun times. I remember them fondly. Now that's what professionals are doing. Um, I guess it's to just limit exposure, or or I, I don't know what the exact reasoning is. Um, because if you're playing a doubleheader, you're playing a doubleheader either way. I guess this will shave about like an hour off of each game, but other than that. Not entirely sure what the reasoning is behind it, um, but it's an, another one of those rule changes for this year that will be implemented. So seven inning double headers. Uh, along with that, the other rule changes, obviously the universal DH, and also when games go into extra innings, uh, every inning the runner or a runner starts at second base. So a lot of weird rule changes. I think the only one that is going to stick and should stick in the future is universal DH. I love the rule. Um, I I went over this already. I wish it happened sooner, but if it takes a global pandemic to finally get rid of pitchers batting, uh, I'm all for it. Before we get to the Mets and Yankees around the league, Cardinals, they are the new Marlins. They had several players who were rumored to be going out to, uh, I believe it was casinos, and uh, just being very, leaving the hotel and being very reckless with the uh, the rules that were implemented. The MLB originally, for some reason, in their guidelines to combating COVID-19, stated that leaving team hotels is strongly discouraged, which means you can do it, but it's frowned upon. Now they had they, they were forced after the Marlins were reported uh, going out about their own business and not really caring, being very lackadaisical with the uh, protocols. And now it's the Cardinals. The MLB was forced to change. The, you're not allowed to leave the team hotels anymore, which should have been the rule from the get-go to at least try and isolate these teams that are traveling uh, would be the smartest move. For some reason, it wasn't that to begin with, but now it is. But the Cardinals are the new Marlins. They had, uh, I think it was like 13-something positive tests, or they had a lot of positive tests that came back, both with, uh, I think it was management and players alike, testing positive, uh, so just not not a good look. Um, they were another one of those teams, like with the Marlins. The Marlins are still 2-1. and one. They're finally back to playing baseball. They were a couple days ago. Monday, they started playing baseball again. The Cardinals are now, they canceled a bunch of games. They had, uh, I think, a four-game series against Detroit. That got canceled uh, or postponed. So they are making things a lot worse. Um when this Marlins story, I mean, when this Cardinals story broke, I 
thought this was the end. I really did. Um, just because it's the way that it was being reported, it sounded just like so bad and like these players were being so reckless. And I really thought this was going to be the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, Rob Manfred came out and said that we have to, like, people have to prepare. Um, the MLB sent out a memo to networks who were scheduled to air baseball games saying, hey, find some alternative programming because there's a chance that come Monday, this happened, I think, over the weekend, um, this whole Cardinals thing. So come Monday, we might not have baseball. So just be prepared. But as of right now, it is Wednesday, August 5th, and we still have baseball. So thank God. And uh, hopefully it stays that way. We don't need any more teams getting coronavirus outbreaks. Hopefully everyone, if, if the Marlins didn't wake you up, hopefully the Cardinals situation did. And if you really want to play baseball, hopefully these these players understand what is at stake here and just stop being so reckless. It's it's honestly shocking at this point that the it doesn't seem like Everyone is taking this as seriously as they should be. The Los Angeles Angels phenom Shohei Otani will not pitch again in 2020. Um, He has a grade 1 to 2, so I'm not sure which one it is. It's a grade 1-2 strain on the flexor, pronator, mass. Um, That's a forearm injury, I believe or upper forearm elbow area, uh, like right near the crease, I think it is. Um, but that, that's his injury. Very serious, because um, strains are tears. Grade 1 is a very slight tear. Grade 2 grade two is much more serious. Um, here, the angel statement. A general timetable for beginning to a throwing progression following this injury is four to six weeks. He is traveling with the team to Seattle, and his status as a DH is day to day. For me, it's time to choose. If I'm if I'm in the the Angels front office, it's time to choose. Shohei Otani cannot be playing both position. He cannot be a pitcher, and he cannot be a hitter any longer. It was a fun little experiment. But the injuries are racking up. He cannot be doing both. I don't care how talented he is. Yes, he throws 99 miles an hour. All right, fine. Yes, he can hit bombs. You got to choose one. He can't be doing both. The likelihood of injury is doubled if he's doing both. And he just, he won't last. He physically will, his body will not last in the major leagues if he continues to do both. I know it's super cool. I know it's super fun to watch to see that this guy is doing is hitting, you know, 430 foot bombs and also throwing 99 miles an hour. It's awesome. Trust me. But for his well-being and for the Angels' future, he cannot be doing both. It's time to choose, and it's it's a very simple answer in my opinion. Um cuz in my eyes, he should just be the the DH every day. Or if you want to switch it up, I don't know what he plays. Is he is he an outfield? Is he a right fielder or first baseman? He's he's something. But if you want to if you want to leave him as the DH, continue him continue to have him as the designated hitter. That that's the move. He cannot be pitching anymore. Um, his first start of the year, he did, he couldn't even get out of the first inning. 
If you want to have him be a pitcher, he has to dedicate 100% of his time to training his body to be a pitcher. Training up and building up the body physique and the, the muscles and the technique that he needs to have to be a long-term pitcher in the major leagues. He can't be this big power hitter and then also get on the mound and try and, and throw 99 miles an hour and expect to come out unscathed for an entire season. It's, it's just, it isn't going to happen. So in my eyes, I think it's an easy choice. I think Joe Madden, I, 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 I think at this point he has to know what he's dealing with. Um, and I think he probably also knows it's probably time to uh, to cut the pitching loose for Otani. Yes, it does suck because he is a pretty good pitcher. He has very raw pitching uh, mechanics and potential. But for right now, it, with the Angels, he's a, you know, you, you would like having him on the mound. He's a pretty good pitcher. But he just... He won't last. If his pitching every fifth day is jeopardizing him being in the lineup every day, I mean, just that sentence alone kind of just proves what the decision that has to be made is. Got to cut the pitching loose, and you got to have him in the lineup with his bat every single day. I think it's a no-brainer. Mets and Yankees news. Before we move on to the NBA bubble, the Mets, what an absolute joke of a franchise the Mets are this season. Come in, high expectations as per usual. Um, you don't have Noah Syndergaard, okay? The season's about to start. Marcus Stroman, uh, what did he do? He tore he tore something in his, his leg, his calf. He goes down with an injury. Very unfortunate. So now you're down two of your three, two of your four starting pitchers or your big starting pitchers, right? Because the fifth one was kind of up in the air. And you're trying to still look at the bright side of things, right? You have Yohan Cespedes, and that's where this goes. As I'm sure everyone knows if you're a Mets fan, if you pay attention to baseball, the debacle that was the Yohan Cespedes situation. You think, okay, he's coming back. He's going to be the DH every day. It's going to be nice. We're going to get to see him hit. And he had a couple moments. However, a couple days ago, I think it was Friday night, the Mets and the Braves. The Mets were up at one point 8-2. The Mets ended up scoring 10 runs and still losing the game to the Braves 11-10. The next day, or two days later, Ioannis Cespedes just does not show up to the ballpark. Or I think it was Monday he did that. Uh, he doesn't show up. Management's like, where the hell is Yo? They go to his room. He's not there. All his bags are packed. He is gone. Irish goodbye. See you later. Didn't tell anyone where he was going. Mets management only found out later through his agent that he was opting out of the season due to COVID-19 reasons. In my opinion, I just think he, uh, he just didn't think the Mets were worth his time. That's how I see it. Because why play the first uh, eight games, eight, nine, ten games of the season and then decide that, you know what, this isn't 
I'm kind of still scared of the coronavirus, so I'm not going to play. It just doesn't make any sense. The Mets have blown, I mean, they've they've been had a disastrous start. They've blown leads. Uh, they've blown saves at the end of games. They uh, have gotten blown out by double-digit runs. It just hasn't been a good 2020 season for the Mets. Um, so Ioannis Cespedes packed it up, said, I'll see you in free agency. And, uh, that's what happened. That's, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's the, the end of the Mets, the Ioannis Cespedes chapter in Mets history. That's how it ends. He's 34 years old. Right? Ioannis Cespedes is past the prime of his career. He still is a very suitable DH, right? You still would like to have him in your lineup. But he's 34 years old. And this, if you think about it this way, he's a 34-year-old guy in a contract year coming off of double heel surgery, amongst other injuries, looking to get a payday for probably the last time in his career. This is the season. Yes, it's shortened and all that, but if he could stay healthy for all 60 games and put up some good numbers, some good power numbers, come off the offseason... Teams will probably be teams looking for a DH will be contacting him, offering him a, probably a decent amount of money. Instead of that happening, he completely foregoes the season, and now his future is uncertain. Um, I I don't know if he plans on just living off his past successes. But right now, I don't know any team that would give Ioannis Cespedes any kind of significant money. At 34 years old, coming off of double heel surgery, and having not played a full season since 2017. I'm, I'm not sure what teams would offer him any kind of significant money. Are there going to be, be teams that offer him a contract and just take a shot on him? Yes, of course. There's always going to be teams that can use a guy like Ioannis Cespedes, guys who are uh, teams that are, are struggling or they got to fill a void, especially National League teams right now who next year, uh, and I'm sure Cespedes is probably banking on this, uh, but if the National League keeps the universal DH rule, Cespedes is going to have a lot more options. And I'm sure a lot of other teams are going to be in the market or suddenly a lot of teams are going to be in the market for a DH and they'll probably come knocking on Yo's door. But to to think about it in that way where you're 34 years old in a contract year to just quit 10 games into the season or whatever it was, just quit and say, you know what, I'll take my chances, speaks volumes about the Mets as a franchise. And the the fact that they didn't really seem to have any kind of grasp on the situation when it was unfolding was very alarming. Uh, It didn't seem like anyone really knew where he was or what happened. And yet it didn't seem like they were really panicking. Whereas like a lot of people, a lot of other people were hypothesizing that hopefully something bad didn't happen to him. That's where people's minds were going because people especially professional athletes and in this today's climate 
with the the virus and everything and the protocols that are at play, athletes don't just up and disappear without saying anything to anyone. So obviously that's some disappointing news for the Mets. Um, Cespedes, very interested to see what happens in his offseason, what kind of money he gets, how many offers he gets. Because I, I just don't see this, like, obviously this decision doesn't benefit him. So, we'll see if it uh, comes back to bite him in the ass a little bit. But the Mets are an absolute train wreck. Um, not that that's that's new to anybody. They uh, haven't really been competent for a while now, unfortunately. And it's disheartening for me to say that. It really is. Um, I want They have a lot of young talent. But... The combination of poor ownership and just flat-out bad luck has plagued this organization for years. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, the Yankees are at the top of the power rankings. They are 8-1, and one and they are rolling. Aaron Judge is unstoppable. Uh, he had six home runs. It's there's a nine games in this season. He had six home runs in five games, the most home runs in the first eight games of the season since Alex Rodriguez in 2007 for the Yankees. So he's on an absolute tear. Like the guy, two of those home runs. He had two home runs against the Red Sox a couple days ago. One was in the eighth inning to go. They were down one. Hit a three-run homer. I think, or two-run homer to put them in the lead. Uh, he's been just, he's he's been phenomenal. He looks like he's seeing the ball better than ever. He's getting on base a shit ton. The power is there now. Uh, he's He's been great. There's just nothing else more you can say about him. He's been absolutely elite. Giancarlo Stanton has made me tremendously happy because he seems to be very locked in right now as well. Um, DJ LeMahieu, I mean, he's a, he's a machine. He is the machine. He puts the bat on the ball every single time. Like, the guy just knows how to hit a baseball. It is absolutely beautiful to watch him play. The one guy I really wish could get locked in right now, and he's the one missing piece from this team literally being unstoppable, Gary Sanchez. Gary hasn't really seemed to figure it out completely yet um he struggled in the Orioles series he didn't really show too much promise in the Red Sox series he's he's been struggling uh and he seems to be the only missing piece right now um although there is a situation with Gardner Gardner is I love him longest tenured Yankee but he is just I feel, I don't know if it's because he's batting too high in the order and he comes up in like these high leverage situations, but I I would love to see Miguel Andujar's bat in the lineup every day. Ideally speaking, Giancarlo Stanton, first of all, he looks great, right? He's, again, he's hitting the ball tremendously. He stole a base a couple days ago, so he's he's running very well, um, well enough to steal a base in a game, um, I don't know why he's not playing left field. I would like Giancarlo Stanton to go see, have him play left field, even like go shag some fly balls, see how he's running out there, 
And if he's good enough, which I think he he looks good enough, put him in left field and then have Andujar DH. I would really love Miguel Andujar's bat in the lineup every day. The guy, people, how quickly they forget, right? Back in 2018, should, in my opinion, should have been rookie of the year. Over Torres, over Otani, he should have been rookie of the year. 2018, played pretty well up until he got injured, Had some was battling some injuries. I think he, had, he ended up, uh, 2019 this was, I don't know if I said 2018 again, but 2019... And then he had, uh, I think it was some type of shoulder issue. I forget what his injury was. Um, but he ended up getting surgery after battling it and then coming back. And that ended his season. And that's, you know, we got lucky there because Gio Urshela emerged as a gold glove caliber third baseman and also hit like 315 with 25 homers. Like, could not have asked for a, a better replacement, honestly. And he won the, the starting third base job. You're not going to put Andujar back there because his glove's a liability. But I want his bat in the lineup. He is, still knows how to hit the baseball. Like, he puts the ball in play. I would, I mean, he, he's also a doubles machine. I don't think any, I hope no one forgot about that. Guy had, I don't even remember how many doubles, but it, it was top, top of the league, like, let alone rookies. He had some of the most doubles in the league in 2018. Um... So he, I would love to see him in the lineup every day. So those are the two things that got to really kind of be uh, situated right now is Gary Sanchez has to find a way to get it rolling. And uh, the Brett Gardner, Miguel Andujar, Giancarlo Stanton situation has to be uh, figured out also. Stanton, maybe if he's even in left field every other day, they tried Andujar during the Red Sox series. They tried him in left field. Uh, he, he made an error. Like, it is what it is. But Aaron Hicks also made an error in that game. So it's like, Aaron Hicks is a great center fielder. So I'm not going to hold it against Andujar. It is his first year playing left field or trying his hand at left field. Uh, either get him more reps in there or just try and put him in the DH slot. Because I, I don't like, I, I can't blame Boone, but I just, I want Andujar in the lineup. I really, really, really do. So I, I would like to see that get figured out um, shortly. And I know the risk factor is there. Like, what if you put Stan in left field and he ends up hurting his one of his legs again? He pulls something. Because he's prone to doing that, the more he runs, uh, I understand. But you can't be like walking on glass. If you put him in left field, it opens up a lot more opportunity for Andujar, and I personally would like Andujar in the lineup over Gardner. Although Gardner did hit an opposite field home run the other day, which was. Probably the least likely thing to ever happen in the entire universe. Down in Orlando, the NBA bubble. The Lakers clinched the one seed for the first time since 2010. Kobe led the Lakers to the one seed and also to the finals where they won. 
crazy to think that it's been 10 years since the Lakers clinched the one seed in the West. But LeBron, Anthony Davis, they got it done this year with the restart and everything. Uh, Able to secure it with, what, like six games? Five games left in the the eight-game playing thing they had going on. So chances are... LeBron and Anthony Davis won't be seeing that much action uh, just for the risk of injuries. You can't not play them because then they're going to get rusty again and uh, it's not going to help you in the playoffs, obviously. But I wouldn't be surprised if they're limited to 15 or so minutes, even 20 minutes a game from here on out until the playoffs begin. But the Lakers, your one seed... And right now, they are matched up to play the Grizzlies in the first round. That could change very, very, very shortly because the Phoenix Suns, my Phoenix Suns, I'm claiming them. I've claimed them before. I've always loved the Suns. I love Devin Booker. He is my guy. He showed he is the real deal. He is a budding superstar, one of the, already one of the most elite offensive players in the NBA. I am not exaggerating. He hits a game-winning shot over Kawhi and Paul George to beat the Clippers, the second-seeded Clippers, and the Suns become the first three, the first and only current 3-0 team in the West during this NBA restart. Beautiful to see, honestly. Um, right now, I think the Suns are three games back, and they are. The Grizzlies have the eight-seed. The Trailblazers are a game and a half back. The Spurs are two games back. The Pelicans are two and a half games back. And the Suns are three games back. The Suns are undefeated. The Grizzlies are slipping. Okay? The Grizzlies are slipping. Jaron Jackson Jr. very unfortunately tore his meniscus in his left knee. Again, super unfortunate. He is one of the bright young stars of the NBA. He's a seven-footer, can shoot the three very well. And honestly, his only blemish blemish in his game right now is that he fouls a little too much. And but he he blocks a lot of shots, but he fouls too much. Anyway, good with the bad with him. He is an elite young player, and the Grizzlies had him and John Morant to lead them into the future possibly the playoffs this year, but right now for them, it just got that much harder without Jaron Jackson. So as far as I can see, the eighth seed in the West is wide open. It's for the taking. The Trailblazers got a huge win over the Rockets last night. Melo hit a clutch three to seal it at the end of the game. Huge win for them. The the Trailblazers got off to a slow start in this bubble Um, But a big, big, big win over the Rockets to inch closer to that 8th spot. The Pelicans have not been making much noise. Um, I hate watching the Pelicans because ESPN is like, they they televise the, the Pelicans like Zion Williamson and the Pelicans. And then Zion Williamson plays 15 minutes a game because the Pelicans still have him on a minutes restriction. I understand you're concerned. He is your future, even though you have Brandon Ingram, who, by the way, I gave out NBA awards and my most improved player went to Bam Adebayo. 
I really want to switch that. I think Brandon Ingram should win it. The guy is a he's a freaking monster, and I don't know why I kind of overlooked him, but Brandon Ingram definitely deserves that award also. He is a beast. He is such a unique scorer. He has length, uh, athleticism, can post up, post fade, shoot threes, step backs. The guy can do it all, get to the rack whenever he wants. Um, He is a problem. As Kevin Durant said, 14 is a problem. The Spurs are still there. They're in jeopardy of missing the playoffs for the first time in 21 years. So that's that's a streak that we we might soon see snapped. Um, I mentioned the Pelicans. They kind of stumbled a little bit. And I don't know how much they can get done without Zion because he is a difference maker. He is. You can feel the momentum shift whenever he's in the game. And then the Suns are creeping right behind. The Kings are also only 23 and a half games back. Um, but they just got absolutely obliterated by Luka Doncic the other night. I would love to see the Suns in the playoffs. It's going to be extremely difficult. Um, but Devin Booker in, I would say, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration. Like These games don't mean, the, the stakes aren't that high for the Suns. Because if they don't make it, it's like, alright, no one expected them to make it. Um, but they had a good run. But if they do make it, they shock the world. Right, so it's it's kind of a win win situation here. But Devin Booker, in probably the first real meaningful games he's ever played in a Phoenix Sun uniform, he's showing out. He's twenty three years old and he's two, one or two thirty point game shies from leading the the Suns franchise in all time thirty point games. He's twenty three years old. I was thinking about it earlier today. When Bronny James is in the league, Devin Booker won't even be 30. He'll be like 27. <laughs> it's it's insane how young he is and how good he is right now. And I feel like he gets overlooked a lot, but right now he's certainly making a name for himself. Um, on that game-winning shot against the Clippers, he drove to his left and pump-faked to get Kawhi Leonard in the air, which is like... I feel like Kawhi never jumps, and you wouldn't expect that from him, but he jumped, and then poor Paul George just keeps getting grilled with, uh, <laughs> he has a hand in his opponent's face, Lillard did it to him last playoffs, and then Devin Booker <laughs> yesterday, the guy just keeps, he, he is known as a very good defender, and he is, but for some reason he just gets caught on the wrong end of these shots very frequently, but Devin Booker is certainly making a name for himself in this NBA bubble. Luka Doncic and the Mavs. The Mavs are, statistically speaking, it is almost a guarantee that the Mavericks are going to play the Clippers in the first round of the playoffs. Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, they're an elite NBA duo, right? Top five NBA duo. Doncic puts up 30 points, over 30 points, 20 rebounds, and 10 assists against 
the Los Angeles Kings, the team that probably should have drafted him, but instead took Marvin Bagley, who, not bagging on Bagley, but you passed up on Luka Doncic. The kid is phenomenal. I mean, he's all kinds of amazing. He can pretty much do whatever he wants on a basketball court offensively. Um, but the Mavericks and the Clippers, that's a that's a series that's going to be pretty tough. I think those teams match up well. Um, there are some mismatches on both sides of the ball, right? Chris stops. I mean, I think Montrez Harrell, he's a, he's a off the bench player though, so I'm not sure who in the starting lineup is going against Chris Stops. He's very unique. Montrez Harrell is only about six eight, so even though he's super tough and much stronger than Chris Stops Porzingis, um, the height disadvantage might the height advantage for Porzingis might be a problem for him. Doncic, yes, Patrick Beverly. He's super tenacious defensively. Um, but again, the size advantage. The Mavericks, I feel like, are much bigger at just in their starting lineup in general. They have that length and that size against the Clippers. But, you know, the Clippers have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. It's a trump card, honestly. It really is. So that is probably one of the most anticipated first round matchups for me. Now the eighth seed obviously is still up for up for grabs. I think the Lakers, no matter who ends up in that eighth spot, I think the Lakers kind of make short work of them. But as it stands, the Mavericks are playing the Clippers. Uh, the Thunder are playing the Nuggets, and the Jazz are playing <laughs> the Jazz are playing the Rockets in the first round for I think the fourth time in f- five years. It feels like they play each other in the first round of the playoffs every year, and every year the Rockets beat the Jazz, and Donovan Mitchell shoots 35% from the field. <laughs> and that's not me being a jerk, but it's happened a couple years in a row now. It's not not an ideal situation. Um, the Nuggets are really nice too, man. I I don't I don't know. It, it's the Nuggets and Thunder could be. The Thunder could upset the Nuggets, I think. They have a very legitimate shot to do that. Pretty much 1 through 7 are they're going to be good matchups. I think the only playoff series in the West that's going to be kind of a snooze fest is the Lakers against whoever the 8 seed end up ends up being. But other than that, I think we should expect some pretty tight games. Um in the East the East is like kind of weird for me right now. Um, I hate that I absolutely hate that the Wizards are in this this play-in stuff. The Nets actually jumped the Magic, so the Magic are the eighth seed right now. Uh, the Nets are the seventh seed, and then you have the Sixers, the Pacers, the Heat, the Celtics, Raptors, Bucks. The Bucks are going to be a problem. The Raptors they beat the Lakers and they showed that they are the real deal. Nick Nurse, pretty much. Not that these play-in games technically count towards the awards because you're only supposed to judge from the start to the suspension. But Nick Nurse is very clearly the coach of the year. The Raptors lose Kawhi Leonard, and here they are. They're still beating, they're beating the Lakers convincingly, 
Kyle Lowry is a monster. Uh, OG Ananubi is a fantastic replacement for Kawhi Leonard. Uh, not that he's up to the same level, but he's a very good player. All these guys know their roles and they can do them well and they mesh very, very, very well together. The Celtics, Jason Tatum, I'm not complete. Everyone says Jason Tatum is like the guy, right? He's the second coming for that for the Celtics and he's going to be, you know, he's Kobe's protege. He's going to be the guy to lead them into the future. And I'm just, I'm not completely sold on Jason Tatum being the best player on the Celtics or the, or I'm not completely even sold on him being the best player on a championship caliber team I just don't think he has that right now no disrespect he is a great basketball player and he certainly has his moments but he also has his down moments um he shot two he had a game he shot two for 17 and just he was he played terribly. He he really didn't look I don't know what was wrong with him, but he just had one of those games where he just didn't look like he knew how to play basketball. Um I'm personally much higher on Jalen Brown. Um do I think Jalen Brown can be the best player on a championship team? No. Uh I think Tatum has that ceiling. I think Tatum can be that guy. I just don't know if he's that guy right now. Some people think he is, and I just don't think... I, I can, I'm not sold on him being that guy right now. And for that reason, I'm not completely sold on the Celtics being a real title threat. Um, I think the Heat, the Miami Heat, can are some serious... They're a sleeper pick, in my opinion. I think they can make a significant push in the playoffs. The Pacers, up in the air for me. The Sixers... I'm never sold on the Sixers. I'm just not. Um, and then the Nets and Magic are—they're there to have fun. I really—they're obviously like uh, the Magic. Surprisingly, Jonathan Isaac, I believe, actually just injured himself. He's out for the year, out for the rest of the season. Also, another just like Jaron Jackson, another disappointing blow. He has made tremendous strides this season, and he worked his way back from an injury in January, and now he goes down again with another injury, out for the year. Very unfortunate. But the East is... I don't know. For me right now, I feel like it's the Bucks, the Raptors, and everyone else. And that's just how it's shaping up. Uh, but I'm sure these playoffs are going to be very exciting, especially the Western Conference. Very much looking forward to the playoffs. Um, but so far, the NBA bubble, total success. Uh, the NHL seems to be going well in their bubble. Um, quick thing with them, the Rangers clean sweeped by the Carolina Hurricanes. Very upsetting. Um, didn't even really put up a fight. I feel bad for Henrik Lundqvist, man. He deserves better. Uh, but they, the Rangers just did not look great uh, against the Hurricanes. Unfortunate. Really unfortunate. Um, on the other end, for New York, uh, the Islanders... They are currently up 2-0 in their series against the Panthers. They're actually, as I'm recording this, they're playing right now, and they're in the second period. But I, w I would have liked the Rangers to at least put up a little bit of a fighting chance, win one game. It's just very, very disappointing. 
Um, but Islanders fans got a lot to look forward to as they go for the sweep of the Florida Panthers. As for the rest of the NHL bubble, uh, Predators, Coyotes, they're tied one apiece. Maple Leafs, Blue Jackets, they're tied one apiece. The Calgary Flames lead the Jets two games to one. Canucks and Wild are tied 1-1. And the Penguins, Canadians are tied 1-1. And the Oilers and Blackhawks are tied 1-1. And then uh, tonight you also got, or this afternoon I should say, you got a couple of uh, West and East, or you have one West and East qualifying round round robin games. All right, that'll do it for this episode of From My Point of View. Thank you all very much for listening. Enjoy your sports, enjoy your weekend, and I will talk to you all next Wednesday.